0: Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, good morning, church, both those of you here in the sanctuary and those online. Pastor Brian and Perry are our lead pastors here at Word of Life, and they are on a long walk. (laughs) They are on a pilgrimage in Scotland. I think I could use a long walk in Scotland, right? How many of you would say, yeah, that, that sounds nice? So I'm actually really happy for them, and before we begin today and dive in, to today's sermon, can we just take a moment and pray for our time together and for our pastors this morning? Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we come before you this morning and we recognize that as we gather in your name that you are here among us. Lord, your presence is a blessing, so we know that this gathering this morning is blessed. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the kingdom of God this morning. We pray the same prayer for our pastors, Brian and Perry. As they pilgrimage across the land of Scotland in that beauty, we pray that they would have eyes to hear, or eyes to see and ears to hear, the things that you would want to show them and speak to them during this time. Awaken their hearts, O God, restore their souls, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen, amen. Amen. This morning I wanna talk about stress, anxiety, worry, Self-worth and burnout. (laughs) And Jesus. Um, How many of you know that those are some topics that pertain to life in the 21st century, and especially the year 2020, 2021? Uh, I'd like to start this morning with diving into Luke chapter 10, the story, or should I say the saga of Mary and Martha. Luke 10, verse 38. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, Abide, Don't Strive. If it's okay with you this morning, I would like to preach to myself, and you can listen in. Is that all right? So just know I'm, I'm in it with you all. I, I need this sermon. I, I wrote this sermon and I just thought, I, here I am the whole time preaching to myself. Uh, so know that I, I'm here with you this morning um, seeking to receive this word, abide, don't strive. This sermon was born in quarantine. In February of 2020, I went um, and spent a week in Bude, Uganda. It's pretty sweet to have a spouse who works a really cool job like Megan does here at the church and we did, we, she's the director of social justice and she was leading us, if you remember, in a campaign with World Vision called Chosen. I love it, we, as a church, um, many of you sponsored children through World Vision and their chosen campaign during that time, and instead of just picking children from random places in the world and sponsoring them, the chosen campaign, the strategy there was to bring to us an opportunity to pool our resources so that all of the children sponsored from Word of Life Church through chosen, were all sponsored out of the same community so that those resources could be pooled to actually build the infrastructure and the programs needed to raise up the whole community instead of just one individual family. And even beyond that, what I loved about this is that instead of us going out to the foyer and picking out the cute kid that we wanted to sponsor, we took pictures and Megan flew them across the world, went to Uganda to Budé, to that village there set up a tent world vision set up a tent they rolled out the red carpet and they gave the dignity and the power of choice to these little children i love it and we watched these children walk in no they danced into the tent and they picked who they wanted to be their sponsor it was beautiful so we did all of that it was a busy week we flew halfway around the world, and we flew back. We made a recap video. I came up here and reported to you all that we did. And then Megan and I went home and moved. Went from Uganda back to the US and we moved into a new house. Then I prepared a sermon and I preached the next Sunday. Busy, busy, busy. And then after that sermon, Monday came and the world shut down. It was March 2020, remember that, anyone? Quarantine hit. And our new, home, our new house quickly became a home. We had a three-year-old in quarantine in our new house. Let me tell you, a three-year-old has a way of breaking things in. Do you know what I'm saying? Any parents out there? <laughs> so our daughter Eden helped us make our house into a home quickly. And it was during that time that the church became exclusively an online community at that point. We began as a team to pivot quickly um, to answer the questions how do we continue to be the church in the midst of quarantine? And many of you joining us online even now, I believe joined us during that time and so we're grateful for that. But our team got to work on answering those questions. How do we continue to be a connected community within an isolated world? And so we worked and worked and worked, and I put my kid in front of a TV way too much. But we were surviving. We were not thriving at the Taylor House. Anyone else know what I'm talking about during that time, surviving, right? It's like, okay, (laughs) Lord forgive me, I'm just trying to survive, okay? Um, And so we're praying that the Lord reverses any damage done to my daughter's brain for the amount of TV she watched during those times. But my reaction to the world spinning out of control, as I look back on quarantine, those times, March 2020, March, April, May, my reaction to a world which had spun out of control was to somehow grasp for some control in wherever I could find it. Wherever I could find it, I wanted to control what I could control. I wanted to work to fix what I could fix. So I worked non-stop. It's like working from home. This'll be nice, I can relax. And it was the opposite. It was like, I'm walking around, I'm pacing the house. Like, okay, what are we gonna do, you know? It's like, the, there's nowhere to, there's, Jacob settled down, but for some reason, I wound up during quarantine, and I was doing, 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 working, 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 working. And then I would tune in into a Zoom call with our staff. Or there was a Zoom call that I would join periodically with World Vision, they had actually set up a platform for church leaders and ministers just to talk about navigating uh, this time of quarantine as, church, as ministry leaders. And I would be on these calls and I would hear my peers talk about the gift of quarantine, and I thought the gift of quarantine, like what, that, that my friends is the definition of an oxymoron. Two words that have nothing to do with one another. The gift of quarantine. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? And I would hear them talk about, it's been amazing during this time of quarantine, I've been forced to slow down. I've come to know and understand Jesus in new ways. I've come to know and understand myself in new ways. The world that we live in with new eyes. And as I began to hear my my peers, Perry, (laughs) my pastor, talk about the gift of quarantine, I realized as I came to the end of those months spent at home that I had missed the good portion. I had missed the gift of presence. I had missed the blessing of abiding. I heard Jesus say to me at the end of quarantine, Jacob, Jacob, you are distracted with much serving. Jacob, Jacob, you are anxious and troubled about many things. What's the stock market gonna do? What's the economy gonna do? Is the church gonna survive? What are we gonna do if the church doesn't survive? Are we, you're anxious about many things. We just moved into a new house, is this all gonna crash? Are we gonna lose everything? You are are anxious about many things. How are we gonna do small groups online? I don't know, that's Derek's job, not yours. Stop thinking about it. (laughs) How are we gonna do youth ministry in quarantine? How can we reach kids? Nobody's logging in to see our kids' videos. What are we doing wrong? Jacob, Jacob, you're anxious about many things. But one thing is necessary. And your peers have chosen the good portion, and it will not be taken from them. It was at the end of my first quarantine that I realized Jesus is calling us to abide, not strive. And this is hard for us. I mean, how often do we fail to abide because we are busy? We are a busy people, right? We're busy. That's the nature of the culture that we live in. Well, how are you doing? Busy. How many times have we said that? And we are busy doing good things. Can I say this? That Martha, Martha was not busy doing evil things. She wasn't busy doing evil works. She was working hard, which is to be commended. Work, it's a part of uh, God's good creation, right? In the beginning when He creates mankind, He commissions them and tasks them with work to do to care for creation, to steward the earth. And yet, Martha is working hard, which is to be commended. She is serving Jesus and others, which is to be commended. She's, She's doing what Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be servant of all. She is not just doing things as unto the Lord. I tell teenagers all the time when they start working, I say, here's my advice to you, do all things as unto the Lord. Someone once said that to me and every time I had to do the dishes or wipe tables down at a restaurant or clean the toilets, I thought, ah, this stinks. We got some students here, it's Family Sunday, students and kids, can I just drop this one? Anytime you have to do a chore that you don't wanna do, a task that seems tedious, uh, just have these words in your head, I'm doing this as unto the Lord. That's what I always said to myself growing up. I could hear my grandma's voice, do it as unto the Lord, honey. And so there, there Martha is, she's not just doing it as unto the Lord, she is literally serving the Lord. I'm sure that Martha When she heard that Jesus was coming to her house, her heart was to make a good impression. This rabbi, this one who had come preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, unstopping deaf ears, was coming to her house and you better believe she was gonna make sure that the home was ready. People of faith are a people of hospitality and so Martha gets to work cleaning the house, prepping the food, making sure everything is perfect for a perfect savior. It reminds me of my grandmother, I call her granny. And uh, I, I once talked to my granny, she always has a clean house. And I would go to my grandmother's house growing up when everything was kind of crazy in life. Anybody have a grandmother like that growing up where you would just, when things get out of control, you just go sit with grandma, right? And so I had a granny whose house was always immaculate and it still is today. Growing up, granny's house was immaculate and then I go to visit now in Atlanta and it's still immaculate. And this is the crazy thing, I walk in and I feel a sense of peace and rest. And so I sat down with granny one day and I said, granny, why do you keep your house so clean, like what? It's amazing to me, and she goes, well, honey, you just never know when Jesus might walk in the door. (laughs) I want to keep my house as clean as, because I don't know when Jesus may walk in the door. I want that kind of relationship with Jesus, right, like my granny has, where she actually, I mean, really, with all sincerity said, you know, Jesus might just walk in the door. I want to live that kind of life with the kind of faith that realizes that, man, Jesus might just walk in the door at any moment. That was Martha, and Jesus walked in her door, and each sister, Martha and Mary, when Jesus arrived, were concerned in different ways. Martha concerned herself with making sure that everything was perfect for Jesus. She concerned herself with doing for Jesus, while Mary concerned herself with being with Jesus. You see the difference there? Concern, it's a matter of the heart. Concern. What is your heart fixated upon? When things get crazy, when the world gets turned upside down, where is your heart fixated upon? Where are your concerns? When the big moment is about to arrive, for Martha and Mary, it was Jesus walking in the door. What is the fixation of your heart? Where is your concern? For Martha, she was concerned with doing for Jesus, and Mary was concerned with being with Jesus. It's being versus doing. This is the tension of the Mary and Martha story being versus doing. And Jesus concludes the story by speaking to Martha. And I believe that we are all Marthas. And I think he speaks to us this morning and reminds us. Yet there is one thing necessary. One thing necessary, and that is to be with Jesus. To be in the presence of Jesus. Abide don't strive. Even now, some of us, I know, are feeling uncomfortable. I'm, I'm preaching today in the Midwest. We are a people of hard work. We value doing. We value enjoying the fruits of our labor, and these are not bad things. Can I say this again? That work is not a bad thing. Work is a good thing. It's a part of God's good creation. So when we hear Jesus say these things, one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken from her. And we see Martha serving. We go, yeah, but Jesus, come on. I hear what you're saying, but in reality, I've got bills to pay and mouths to feed. And I have to do in order to survive. But we live in a culture that moves us beyond simply finding sustenance in life to survive and we elevate our ability to provide for ourselves and our loved ones to a kind of competition and status, right? So then it not just becomes about how can I provide for myself and my family, it becomes about how well I can provide for myself and my family. And we live in this culture, even now I hear it. Actually, I work with um, young people at the church and while I know that at times we look at the next generation and we think, oh God, we are in trouble, right? Like, do these kids even know what a job is? Like, get a nine to five, get your head out of the clouds and get to work. But really, when I, when I, when I look at the messages of the next generation, um, they have received this kind of value of entrepreneurship in the grind. They call it the hustle. And we hustle, and we hustle, and we grind, and we have hustles upon hustles, and then we add some side hustles, right? We used to just keep up with the Joneses, and now we're keeping up with the Joneses, the Smiths, and the Kardashians. We carry around, I'm gonna go get mine, we carry these around. I didn't bring mine up on the platform, it just seemed wrong, right, to carry this with me while I'm preaching. But we carry these with us. This is our constant comparison companion that we keep in our pocket. And we used to live our lives comparing ourselves to those around us and now we get to compare ourselves to those around us and those that are not around us that we will never know, never meet, never speak to. We measure our lives by ones and zeros on a screen. And it is driving us to do more, constantly doing. Because every time we check in to compare our lives with the lives of others that we see, we realize that life is going by too fast and that we've got more work to do. We look at our life and we say, I thought I would be further along by now, I better get to work. And so we add another side hustle. We add another way to to get ahead in life or to keep up in life. And life just keeps speeding up and the more it speeds up, the more we feel like we have to do and it's a constant cycle. And we actually believe this, that the busier we are, the more important we are. I just watched a movie the other day, the CEO says to his secretary, I need to meet with Joe, and uh, what's my schedule look like this coming week? And she goes, you're wide open, sir. And he said, never tell me I'm wide open. If anyone, myself, or anyone else asks you, always say my schedule's packed. I'll find a way to make a, squeeze a meeting in, right? Because in the moment, he was revealing something that we think the busier we are, the more important we are. Important people are busy people. And so we fill our schedules and it feels right. We fill our lives with good things. We are so busy doing all the right things and then it leaves us feeling wrong. Our busyness leaves us feeling burnout, strung out, anxious, worried, and exhausted. I think I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I think someone in the house knows what I'm talking about. And in the midst of our anxiety, our exhaustion, Jesus speaks to us out of Matthew chapter six. Not to shame us, not to condemn us, not to look at us with disappointment. Can I just say that this morning? But Jesus speaks these words to us to liberate us, to lead and guide us like a good shepherd into green pastures and beside still waters to restore our soul. He says this, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus says, look at the birds. They're your your schoolmasters and theologians. We have as many preachers as the birds of the sky. And every morning they preach their sermons to us in song, reminding us that they neither work nor toil, they don't sow or reap, and yet God cares for them. Let's sort out some tension here, because I get it. We hear Jesus say, don't worry about your life, look at the birds, they don't farm and yet they're fed, but then we go, all right, back to reality, right? We live in these bodies, and they need food, and they need water, they need a shelter from the storm, and in Missouri winters, they need clothing. If we don't have, lest we die, all of those things, lest we die, right? Like God, we, you say one thing is necessary, but like there are multiple things, Jesus, that are necessary to survival. But this is what I wanna get at. These things have become our fixation. The things that we need are are what we're going to eat, how we're going to care for our family, how we're going to put a roof over our head. They become our fixation. It's like a tomato plant. I know I'm in the Midwest and I'm I'm in... I'm in troubled waters here because I am no master gardener. I've had a couple gardens and they've both failed. So I'm not, I'm not a master, but I know that there are some master gardeners in the house and I've done my research now because I think I've found out what, what's gone wrong in the past. See, in the past when I've planted tomato plants, I just, and by the way, I, I found a tomato plant in September in Missouri. Who sells tomato plant? Walmart. <laughs> Walmart is selling tomato plants. So if you missed out this spring, don't worry you can go buy a plant that'll be dead in a month. Um, But I found that, and and in the past, I've taken my tomato plants out, and I put them in the ground, I packed in the soil, and then I was done. And then you know what happened? It was funny, when I bought them, I was like, oh look, that one already has flowers on it, it's gonna make tomatoes really quickly, right? And so I put it in the ground, and I water it, and all of a sudden, man, it starts producing tomatoes, like right away, and I'm like, this is awesome. But then July hits, the sun comes out, And every time, my tomato plants just withered up, burned up, stopped producing. And anything they did produce was no, it it, like tasted weird, it was funky, right? Like it wasn't, whether they talked about like homegrown tomatoes, this is terrible. So then I did some research and I learned that when you plant a new plant, you've gotta take off the leaves at the bottom. Are there any master gardeners in the house? Am I telling the truth, is this right? I don't know, there's a couple schools of thought, I know, but this is what uh, I found out, is that you're supposed to pull these bottom leaves off. And then if there's any flowers, you're supposed to pick those off as well. And then the first three inches of this stem, you're supposed to plant in the ground. Why? Because then this becomes the root bed. You've got to establish substantial, significant roots for your tomato plant, and if you have flowers that are already on the plant, you pick those off because when you plant your new tomato plant, it's gonna to wanna to put all of its energy into producing more stems and tomatoes right away, and it doesn't, produce any, it doesn't put any energy into producing deep roots so that when the sun comes out in July, it gets hot, the, the plant becomes scorched and it withers away, so it produces fruit quick and it's like whoa, this is awesome and then it burns up and burns out. This is like our lives, this is what I'm saying. We're called to produce fruit, to do good works. Faith without works is dead. I'm not saying that we can't work in the world for good. What I am saying is that the concern of our heart, our fixation, needs to be that we find some rootedness in the presence of Christ, that we search for the nutrients of life, the place that's going to water our soul, that when the world goes crazy, our, our first reaction isn't, what can I do about it? What needs to be done? What, what, what do I need to do to fix it? Our first reaction is I need to go to the source and get some nutrients. I need to get filled up because we've got work ahead. Right, that we would live out of a rootedness in the presence of Christ. We have become a people who define our life, the value of our life, upon our doing. See, the thing is you don't get to see the roots of a plant, just the fruits, right? And so we just naturally like to measure the worth of a life based on what we see that life doing and producing. We do this with our children. We say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we say, do you want to be an astronaut? Do you want to be a doctor? Do you want to be a lawyer, a veterinarian? And then the cute kids say, I want to be a trash truck man. And you're like, oh my gosh, high hopes, because that's like in their head, that's the coolest job in the world, to be able to ride on the back of a truck. But do you see what we do? We define who we are by what we do. We define who we are by what we do. Well, I'm a doctor, I'm a pastor, I'm an administrative assistant, I'm a plumber, I'm a construction worker, because these are the things we do. We asked Eden, my daughter who's four, we said, Eden, what do you wanna be when you grow up? What do you want to be? We're all excited because she can talk and have adult conversations now. What do you want to be? I said, do you want to be a ballerina? She was looking at me weird. I said, do you want to be a doctor like Doc McStuffins? She's like, huh? I was like, do you want to be a, a preacher like Daddy? <laughs> she looked at me real weird. Uh, and then she goes, silly Dad, I love this, silly Dad, I'm just gonna be a plain old Eden. Man, that's, like, Jesus is like, you need to become like little children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? To receive what God is trying to give, we need to become like children again. My daughter is not old enough yet to understand that, well, we define who we are by what we do. She said, Dad, I'm not, what do you mean, what am I gonna do when I grow up? I'm just gonna be me, plain Eden. We need that in our lives. Lord, help us to know that we no longer need to prove our worth by how much we do or what we do. My daughter is no more or less valuable to me by what she does or does not do. She is my world, why? Because I love her, she's my child. And can I speak to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, and say that you are sons and daughters of the living God, that you are children of the Most High. And your worth and value does not come from what you can give, your worth and value comes from what you have received. And what have you received? The love of God. You have received the love of God. And let me tell you that this morning, you cannot receive any more love from God by what you do. In this moment, you are are fully loved. Already. Just because you are, you exist, created in the image of God. What would life look like if we could live from that truth? No more striving. No more having to prove yourself. No more having to carve out space for yourself in this world. No more competing to feel like your life means something. What if we were to know, not just up here, but really know this truth. I am loved and that is enough. Can I invite you just in this moment just to close your eyes to let go of whatever worry you walked in with, whatever happened this past week, whatever's coming this next week, and just receive this truth. Just even say to yourself, I am loved and that is enough. Would you say that with me? I am loved and that is enough. Right now, in this moment, that is all you need. To know that you are loved by God. You have everything you need right now. In this moment. You have air in your lungs. Your heart is beating. You're alive in God. You're not just alive, but you are loved fully. I know you have hopes and dreams, plans, you have needs, there are people depending on you, you have bills. I know these are real concerns, but in this moment, I invite you to concern yourself with this alone, that you are loved and it is enough. And all the things that you worry about, your tomorrow will be taken care of because the one who loves you will provide a way, even where there seems to be no way. The one who loves you cares for the birds and the lilies of the field. How much more will God care for you? The psalmist writes, you will show me the path of life. Jesus is here this morning and he wants to show you the way that leads to life, abundant life, life to the fullest, life everlasting, the kind of life which lasts forever. In your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those who wait upon the Lord, hmm, they shall be renewed their strength shall be renewed, they shall be sustained, they shall mount up on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not grow faint. Can we just abide for a moment this morning in the presence of Jesus? Hmm. And now it is from this place that our doing can now come from a place of being. Instead of working to prove our worth, our work comes from our worth. We don't work to prove that we are lovable, that we are valuable, that we are important. We know that we are loved, that we are valued, and that we are important, and therefore we have important work to do in the world. Do you see the difference this morning? It's about what we concern our heart with. So when the world turns upside down, may I invite you to first seek to abide in the presence of Jesus. Your first reaction be to seek first the kingdom of God. And then all those other things that need to be fixed in your world, that need to be addressed, it'll be taken care of. God will make a way. And you'll be able to do all the work needed with a soul that is restored and healthy instead of anxious, worried, and troubled. That's good news this morning, amen? Amen, Amen. would you stand on your feet with me? So this week, I want to encourage you. (laughs) Carve out some time to just abide with Jesus beautiful weather this time of year. Go outside, sit outside, and listen to the birds remind you that everything's gonna be all right. Instead of waking up in the morning and heading out the door quickly to get all of day's work done, spend five minutes sipping a cup of hot coffee and sitting with Jesus. I invite you to even begin to pray. We have a liturgy of prayer. We even have a prayer school at Word of Life. You can learn how to do that stuff. It'll be good for your soul. Spend an extra five minutes with your kids. You know at times they're the very presence of Jesus to you. Whatever it is that you need to do to slow down in life for just a moment and recover your soul in the presence of Jesus, I invite you to do that this week. And you're here already on the first day of the week, the morning of the first day, doing just that, abiding in the presence of Jesus. So well done, you're already on your way this week. You've already started by rooting your life in the presence of Jesus. You've come to to find nourishment for your soul this week. And so we will come to this table in just a moment. And here is the presence of Jesus in this bread and in this cup. And he says, unless you eat this bread and drink this cup, you, you have no life in you. And so we will feast upon the presence of Jesus to nourish our souls this morning, and then we will worship together through song. So I'm going to encourage you. Here's your first invitation to not be busy. I know it's hard. Just stay this morning. Be present in communion, and then instead of letting your mind race to what's next after church, let's just worship Jesus together, just as Mary did, abiding in his presence this morning. Amen. We'll confess our faith together, confess our sins, and then come to the table. Would you make this confession with me? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate to the glory of your name, amen. And God is gracious to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. In the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven, amen. Now this is the table, not of the church but of the Lord and it is made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, for it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Amen.